You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, warm-hearted warlocks, warrywarts, and wordsmiths worthy of wordplay. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 238. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your stubbled, studious, stud muffins, stunned by stupendous stuff. <laughs> I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. I would say two thirds of us are, are currently stubbled, I would say. Little hairs like face hairs. Right? Oh, I guess. I guess. It's true. Unless, yeah. But unless you're hitting them with a, you know, a Mach 3, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's not, I think yeah. it's up to Mach 9 now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're reaching the limits. Let's stop. The Gillette Decimator. It's just an eight and a half by 11 inch just rectangle <laughs> yeah. of blades that you just, yeah. You just have to move it once. Everything's gone. Uh, I, have a, I have a dumb question. The Mach 3, Mach 4 razor. But yeah. what actually is a Mach? It's an airplane measurement, right? A unit of the speed of sound. So Mach 2 is like twice the speed twice of sound. Twice the speed of sound. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. Named after, I believe, Ernst Mach, I believe, was Wow. Was the nice, nice. Going to have to look that up here. Yeah, um, go for it. Yes, yes, yeah. Ernst Mach. I just had to introduce my son to the concept of, um, I came out of the bathroom and he's like, oh my God, what happened to you? I'm like, oh, I, I had, you know, because <laughs> had a little tiny little Japanese flag on my face and I'm like, oh, I got my shelf shaving, you know? And he's like, what? And I'm like, no, it's it's okay. It's all right. I'm I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be fine. Yeah, I remember the first time seeing my dad, yeah, with the little, just that classic, just the little toilet paper tab, (laughs) you know? That's the one, yeah. Just, yep, Japan flag. (laughs) Without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here, I have a random trivial pursuit card you guys have your barnyard buzzers chris is the rooster colin is the horse Mm. here we go blue wedge for geography the landmark known as la pousse in paris is a 40 foot high bronze sculpture of what body part wow okay that is spelled la l-e the Uh, yeah p-o-u-c-e P-O-U-C-E, La Pouf, body part. Colin. The ear. No. Basically, it's asking you to know what this French word means. Yes, yeah. Hmm. A thumb. It is a thumb. Mm, Great, great, great. Figured it had to be an extremity on the body. You know what I mean? Like something you can make a sculpture out of. Oh. But not that. (laughs) So there we go. That's good. All right. Next question. Pink wedge. Who called Hamilton brilliant? And the only thing that Dick Cheney and I have agreed on during my entire political career. Oh, Uh, (laughs) Hamilton, the musical Chris, former president, Barack Hussein Obama, President (laughs) Obama. Next question. Yellow wedge. In 1981, which historic Republican appointee joined the United States Supreme Court? 1981 Republican. Oh, uh, Colin. Is that uh, Sandra Day O'Connor? Yes, correct. Says here, the first of several women to sit on the nation's highest court. Purple Wedge. 
This Side of Paradise was the debut novel for which Jazz Age author? Jazz oh, Age has geez. quotes on it. I'm doing air quotes. So again, This Side of Paradise was the debut novel for which Jazz Age author? Chris. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Correct. Mm. Green Wedge. Edison's electric pen became the inspiration for which modern day tool? Oh, Colin. Is it a uh, a, a tattoo, tattooing device? Yes! Oh, it's a tattoo nice. gun! Yeah. I'm just picturing like the most just steampunky, beefy looking <laughs> device like uh, coming out of Edison's lab here. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question, Orange Wedge. Which NCAA football team won the first championship under the college football playoff system? Oh, what does that man. Mean? So, they, you know, they, they tinker with these, these playoff systems a, a lot over the years. Okay. It's very complicated. But basically, it was a way of kind of formalizing the process to make it supposedly, mm-hmm. you know, more Consistent. definitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Chris. Harvard. Incorrect. It's a big football <laughs> I school. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how 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 far back it goes. A little you more. Know? This is a little more recent. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll guess. Uh, Colin. I'll guess Alabama. Mm. It is Ohio State. Okay. Wow. Ohio yep. State. Yep. Does it give a year on the card? Doesn't. So it's that's frustrating. Yeah. I can see where Chris is going for because it's like how long ago was it? If right, it's really right, early, right. yeah. If it's like 1899, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, Princeton. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. like, was it before they invented the forward <laughs> pass or like after? Yeah. Go sports. <laughs> good job, brains. Hey, good work. So, Colin, you were the one who suggested the our our, our topic of inquiry. I for, did. Uh, I did. Episode. Yeah. I was inspired by a couple things. Is uh, I feel like. Uh, maybe I'm watching and reading too much news, but, but uh, redacted documents have been in the news a lot recently. I feel like just yeah. la- I'm, se- I'm, I'm seeing redacted documents. Um, and then I I went by something. I saw an ad for tattoo removal as well. Um, somewhere just out in the oh. city. And something in my brain just kind of connected. I was like, oh, there, there's there's something here. So I started making a list of things that are about removal and erasure and redaction and and changes and i kind of just let it let it flow from there all right so this week we're going to talk about things that are redacted here i have a silly quiz where i have redacted i've taken out one letter out of famous book titles. Oh. <laughs> One letter out of famous book titles. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you the new plot summary. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. All right. And you tell me what this book title is or what okay. this new book title is. So okay. it's like one letter off, right? It's, sure. it's one letter removed. I've erased one it. One letter removed. Okay. One letter removed. Very good. I will also tell you the author as well. So. Okay. Even if okay. the plot summary is a little bit too crazy, like at least you have the author to go by. So okay, okay. buzz in with your answers. Number one, Louisa May Alcott's story about the small prophecies of the March family. <laughs> little Omen. Yeah. Little Omen. <laughs> little women, little omen. That's good. All right. Number two, Barack Obama explores the American tradition of beer. 
Chris. Oh gosh. Um, why why am I blanking? Sorry, sorry. Oh, a false alarm. Barack <sighs> Obama explores the American, the American tradition, tradition of, of beer. Beer. American had, tradition of beer ingredients, maybe. Yeah, he had more than one book too. <laughs> The audacity of hop. <laughs> yes, yes. Audacity of hop, audacity of hope. His book about whiskey drams from my father. Yeah, that's great. Number three, Marjorie Williams's classic children's tale about a Jewish spiritual leader dressed in plush fabric. Colin. The velveteen rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Velveteen rabbit. All right. Next one. Aldous Huxley's masterpiece about a dystopian world set to electronic music. Colin. Uh, would that be Rave New World? Rave New World. Brave New World. Correct. All right. Kurt Vonnegut's seminal anti-war novel about war prisoners using humor to survive. Oh, oh, that's, oh, that's oh, good. Man. That's good. Uh, uh, <laughs> Laughter House Five. Yes. <laughs> For these, I try to pick where, like, when you take one letter off, it's pronounced differently. Laughter House Slaughterhouse. That's oh, great. Sure. Yep. That's really good. Next one. Lewis Carroll's adventure about gnarly insects that live in the Red Queen's hair. Ah. <sighs> uh. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Colin. Is, is that um, lice in Wonderland? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Charles Dickens' story about an orphan digestive organ thieving in London. An orphan digestive organ thieving. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Chris. Liver twist. Oliver <laughs> twist. Liver <laughs> twist. All right, two more. Anna Sewell's children's classic about a dark horse that's kind of ugly. Oh. Chris. Lack beauty. Lack beauty. <laughs> Black beauty. The beautiful horse. Lack beauty. Last one. Here we go. Dan Brown's fishy puzzle quest thriller. <laughs> fishy puzzle quest thriller. Oh. Colin, the 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 Da Vinci Cod. Yes, gosh, I know yeah. Dukes. I know them all. So I'm like, uh, like okay, angles well, and demons. Angle, yeah, that's Anger. what I was thinking. Like, is it angle fishing? Because I got caught up on like angler fishing, and I'm like, if you only know one book, it's a lot easier to. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe you, maybe that's you where I one, I succeed. Yeah. I succeed because of my ignorance there on that one. <laughs> yeah. So Da Vinci Cod, what a thriller. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. That was mm -hmm. my quiz. I, you know, I should make a part two at some point. You should. Oh, yeah, should. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if you guys have a favorite feature of Gmail. Uh, getting a little nerdy here, but we're all friends. Uh, for, for, for me, <laughs> for me, there's no question. My favorite feature of Gmail is the delayed send feature. I don't know if you oh, guys have sure. this on. Yeah. Well, little, I've never used that it's before. One of the little toggles. Yeah. It's, you know, at first you hear it, it sounds pretty gimmicky, but I, I come to rely on this. I love it. So if, you, if you're not familiar with what it is, it's basically, I have on my email uh, a 30 second 
timer and you can adjust this time that you want. So, but I have a what? little 30 second timer on all my outbound emails. So I type my email or I hit reply and I hit send and Gmail, you know, it looks and acts and behaves like, oh, I just sent your email. You got it. But it's kind of like wink, wink. Cause there's a little tab <laughs> down at the bottom that says undo. And that sits there for my predetermined time of 30 seconds. You can set it a minute if you wanted. And I can hit that undo button and then it just sort of magically brings the, the email back to the edit screen. It's like, just kidding. I didn't really send it. I got you covered, boss. Um, it's great because as any writer can tell you, professional or amateur, you always spot that typo immediately after you hit submit. I'll, I'll send the email and I'll immediately spot some dumb typo that I made or, you know, I'll, I'll use the person's name twice or something just, you know, just silly. And I'll just like, ah, oh, let me just clean that up and fix it. And then I'll go ahead and send it again. It's, it's nice to have that backup. Working with words and ideas and in kind of creative field, especially in digital media these days, you know, you hear the phrase, hey, it's not written in stone. Eh, we can always change it. You know, just put down the words. We'll, we'll tinker with it. We'll play with it. Mm -hmm. you make a mistake. It's easy to fix. You make a goof. Fix it hey, in post. You just revise it. That's right. Fix it in post. Move on. You push out a new version. We'll patch it. We'll update it. But I got to thinking, what about those poor souls who do, in fact commit their writing to stone that oh, for their no. job it is written in stone and if you realize you make a goof or someone tells you you make a goof uh you got you got a much bigger uh, uh hill to climb there than just hitting undo in your little gmail tab so i have three little tales for you guys of sculpture and engraving <gasps> gone wrong oh, oh nice no. in a segment i've called hey it's not written in stone Oh, wait, <laughs> actually, it is written in stone. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I, I'm being told it is written in stone. <laughs> this just in. So uh, I have a few uh, misadventures in stone uh, and bronze. You know, we'll expand it a little bit to sculpture more generally uh, involving statues and memorials. For, oh, no. for three very famous men, two probably the most famous Americans of all time, without a doubt, one of the most famous Canadians uh, of all time as well. Alanis. Michael J. Yeah. Fox. Oh, But let's, let's start there in Canada from the Bay Area here to uh, Brantford, Ontario. And well, that's uh, weird because Chris is from Brantford, Connecticut, North Brantford, North yeah. Brantford. I'm sorry, <laughs> we don't associate with that. Is there a there Brantford? Are, there is, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in, in 2013, a, a new statue, in fact, actually a, a, a set of statues, we'll talk about this in a minute, uh, went up and was, was unveiled to a throng of locals and fans. This statue unveiling was part of a grand reopening and marking the renovation of the Wayne Gretzky Sports Center in Brantford, oh, no. Ontario. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, born in Brantford, grew up there, you know, learned, learned to play, uh, hockey there. This, this was a big deal for them to just really rededicate the center. It was a 12 foot bronze statue of, of Gretzky hoisting the, you know, the Stanley cup up over his head. And, you know, the Stanley cup is big. It's big. It's huge. And, and one of the reasons that it's huge, as you probably know, this comes up in trivia is there's 
additional bands added onto the bottom of the cup over generations of players that record the names and teams of who won the Stanley Cup in previous years. Across from him are three other statues, figures that are Gretzky as a young as a young boy and his parents. So it's 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 a little weird. It's a little maybe on the nose. I don't know. But it's it's a picture. It's him, his parents looking at himself as, you know, the future, the great one. Yeah. So, you know, it was great. Everybody loved it, had a great time. A lot of people showed up. Everything was pretty good. Um, Nobody there, uh, certainly not Wayne Gretzky, none of the officials seemed to notice something that a 12-year-old named Joel England noticed. He was looking really closely at the statue, looking at the Stanley Cup in particular. These are Joel's words here. He said, I looked up and I saw... 8990 Stanley Cup champions for the LA Kings. Wait a minute. That's not right. They didn't win the Stanley Cup until 2012. Then he noticed that were also some other interesting names uh, on the statue of the Stanley Cup. Bill Clinton, apparently playing for the Blackhawks in 2003. Um, Brad Pitt listed as playing for the Dallas Stars in the <laughs> 90s. Kanye West's name was on there. <gasps> In one spot, Gretzky's name was misspelled on on this on his own statue honoring the man in front of the center. Yeah, it was spelled as G R E T Z S K Y. Gretzky. Yeah, really, really unfortunate. Things that were probably meant to be jokes that shouldn't have made it all the way through on the statue. So. Turns out the sculptor of the statue said, basically, he was very honest. <laughs> he was like, oh my gosh, that was never meant to be read individually. So this sounds like he had a a, a studio in a factory kind of, not a factory, like, you know, an artist studio where it's a yeah, team yeah, of yeah. people producing the, the final work. And I guess in his original vision, it was just supposed to be kind of like, you know, what they call it, Greeked out characters, right? Just sort of just gibberish, like just to look yeah, like yeah. writing, Scribbles. but not actual real letters they fixed it so he did he uh, oh. he, he committed to pretty quickly once he was found he's like I, I will fix this i'll make it right re-engraved the letters so that it was no longer legible uh as as real text with bad names and misspellings <laughs> and incorrect dates <laughs> all right let's drop let's drop back down below the border here back into the good old us of a uh we are certainly no no strangers here to mistakes in stone we're going to go visit one of our probably safe to say one of our most famous monuments statues uh in the us which is the lincoln memorial okay um, have you have you guys ever been to the lincoln memorial yes <laughs> it's cool out there it's pretty cool in the lincoln memorial lincoln he's seated and then then there's there's inscriptions on the walls <gasps> of the of the memorial all around him um, <laughs> Memorial's been there since, uh, you know, 1922 was when it was dedicated. And it says Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> it says Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> and it's <laughs> on the on the walls around uh, Lincoln seated there in the chamber are, are his speeches and, you know, sayings and things like that. On the on the north wall in particular, it has part of his second inaugural speech. OK, just carved big giant letters in this chunk of text. The sentence is, uh, with high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. All right. When it was carved, the engraver accidentally carved a initial E instead of an F 
in the word future in the phrase high hope for the future. So it's mm-hmm. a, I hope for the future. <laughs> Again, you know, they get it up there, they finish it. And then someone's like, Oh, wait a no. minute. They're, what do you do? What do you, what do you do? What do you think they did? How do you think they solved this problem? You know, the F and E are pretty similar. It's just the, the line at the bottom. So I would think they like probably carved a chunk of marble or something and then like filled it up. Mm-hmm. That no? That's that's pretty much what they did. They basically, oh. yeah, they basically just filled it in with like, you know, like mortar or grout or like additional. Yeah, they didn't like carve a plug to fit. So you can still, if you go today, you can see like. It is plainly visible. If you wow. know, if you see like you go up there and like, oh, yep, that used to be an E. And they just kind of just filled it in, turned it into a, into an F. You know, it's like, again, you just, you got to do your best. You can't take down this entire chunk of limestone man how lucky are they that's an e and an f yeah you know what i mean it's not like yeah. an o an o and an e he, he probably started doing an f because it was like for the future but then he had just done the e and the and he was just, <laughs> he was just thinking about ease because you get up there you're, not, you're tapping it out you're not really thinking about the word you're just sort of mechanically kind of doing it and so then you do an e didn't Whoops. even notice yeah oops all right. All right. So so we've had a couple kind of, I mean, I think all things considered, relatively light fixes Mild. so far. Yeah. All right. So but we're going to stay in D.C. here uh, because if one goof is good, <laughs> two are even better. Uh, in fact, we're going to journey over uh, a little ways from the Lincoln Memorial to the memorial for another famous American. That is, of course, Martin Luther King Jr., dedicated in 2011. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the inspiration for the memorial was was uh, a, a line from the I Have a Dream speech. And in particular, it was the line, out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And I don't know if you guys, I have not been there in person. It opened uh, after the last time I was in D.C., mm-hmm. but it's pretty cool. You know, Dr. King kind of em- emerging from a, this big chunk of stone. But the way it's set up, it's it's set up to look like this big chunk of stone has sort of slid forward out of and created a gap out of a big sort of the mountain of despair. This stone of hope has slid forward. In in the memorial, sort of there are a bunch of inscriptions uh, on on the walls, kind of surrounding the the main piece, and they were chosen by uh, a council of very esteemed you know historians, and and that part by all accounts went pretty well. The inscriptions on the actual centerpiece, the Stone of Hope, however, uh, ended up being uh, a fiasco. (laughs) On the side of the the Stone of Hope, here's what they carved, okay? So when it opened, it was carved in there, the words it said, I was a drum major for justice, peace, and righteousness. Now, this is paraphrased. It it was not a direct quote. It, It was, you know, kind of munched together out of a much longer passage in in paraphrasing this this quote inverted the meaning they basically took away what dr king was trying to say so the fuller quote the longer quote was if you want to say that i was a drum major okay and i'll pause here now he's he's addressing his critics Critics he's addressing critics who are saying you're just showboating you're just about your personal glory you're a drum major calling attention to yourself and and this is him turning it around saying all right if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. Oh, no. Almost immediately, people were criticizing this. I mean, like, you know, no less than Maya Angelou herself said that basically, like, as written, the quote made him sound like, I believe it is an arrogant twit were her words. 
there was a lot of talk about what to do. Like, it's way too long. You can't just get in there and fill in a couple letters. You can't also. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they they talked a lot with the the planning committee, um, the the backers who helped fund it, the Dr. King's family, uh, and the sculptor uh, as well, of course. And so ultimately, what they ended up deciding to do was about a year later, they they agreed. It took them a while to kind of come around to this. They agreed, we're just gonna obliterate the entire quote. We're just gonna shave it. Blasted. Mm-hmm. They basically absorbed and ate the cost of doing that. And you know, again, the the sculptor was apologetic, but that's not his fault or, or her fault. That's right. Ultimately, it's like we all agreed, right? It's like we all signed off on this. Yeah. It was uh, reportedly I read something like eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, to basically, you know, what? yeah, to to basically scrape it off and redo the finish so the colors look right and doesn't look like someone just came in there with a giant belt sander. That's like you know? a house. You ha- well, you have to pay like extremely skilled people to do it, and they're gonna ch- and they're gonna charge like you know. Wow. If you feel bad about sending out a typo in your Gmail account, don't feel bad because at, at much greater expense, people can top you. I'm trying to remember if I shared the story before. My sister in high school, she like wrote to the newspaper, like the, the Taipei English newspaper, like letters to the editor. It was really exciting because it's like she got published, but they spelled her name instead of Jennifer Chu. They spelled it Jennifer Chubb. Oh, no. We get the paper. It's printed. And then you're reading what she wrote. And then at the end, you know, dash Jennifer Chubb. (laughs) It's just like a high schooler. You know what I mean? Like It's a very delicate time. Uh, Well, at least we can count on high schoolers to be mature and understanding. Understanding. Certainly not inclined to... Poor girl. Oh my gosh. Um, All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm not LeVar Burton. You're listening to Good Job Brain, but you don't have to take my word for it. Yes. Okay. So we've been talking about things that have been uh, intentionally erased, intentionally covered up, removed, etc. Uh, I would like to talk about some things that uh, were not intended to be um, to be to be lost, or that were lost, that were not intended to be removed from existence. Um, and in particular, I want to talk about the phenomenon of lost. Uh, films mm. lost films films movies whether shorts or feature length movies silent movies talkie movies whatever that we know existed at some point we have 
evidence, you know, that they absolutely were made and existed. Um, But that now no copies are currently known to exist. The Film Foundation, that is the nonprofit that was founded by Martin Scorsese, uh, director Martin Scorsese. It is devoted to the preservation and the restoration of films and film history. Uh, The Film Foundation estimates that of the films released prior to the year 1929, uh, 90% of them have been lost. Hmm. Part of this is because at the time, you know, few people considered film to be this important cultural heritage, oh. you know, that was worth saving. It was like a, it was a novelty. It was cheap entertainment. It wasn't like classic literature or something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But even if you did think that, um, and then there were absolutely people who did, the thing with, the thing with old films is that they just had a habit of spontaneously combusting. Like, <laughs> oh. like I really mean that at one point you would just have a film reel sitting there and the next moment it would just be on literal fire. Um, <laughs> Why? Because early film, they used a compound known as nitrocellulose, aka celluloid or nitrate mm, film. Mm-hmm. You've heard of celluloid. Nitrocellulose is what that is. You might say nit- nitro, nitrate, nitrate film. Like that sounds kind of explodey right yeah and it totally was um they i mean they used it you know in in you know explosive substances but not only was nitrocellulose super flammable and super explodey but like you know how like flames require oxygen right yeah so like you might like pour water on a fire to put it out or like put a blanket over a fire to to you know take away the oxygen yeah, so in the molecular like structure of nitrocellulose, there's a bunch of oxygen. Uh, so it just feeds itself. It, just, it makes its own gravy. It just ha- yeah, exactly. So it just keeps going. Uh, in if it's you have like film that's on fire and you put it in water, it just it becomes it like more on fire. Like it's like there's it just produces more smoke and you can't put a blanket over it cuz there's just enough oxygen. So it's like you have one film reel sitting around. It's probably like I don't know, in a closet with a bunch of other film right next to another one right on fire oh man you have many 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 recorded incidents in which movie theaters burn down people die a studio's entire you know archive of films just is gone because it just burns up the old movie theaters projection room where they would show the film they used to line it with asbestos in case the film caught fire, but it's like if the films all caught fire, it's like there was like nothing they could do but just leave, leave. close the door, and just let it all burn. Yeah. Up. I mean, what are you gonna do? At least if you have asbestos around the room, that's the only thing that goes up in wow. flames, not the entire theater and all the people in it. So, in the late 1940s, they introduced film that had the fortunate property of not simply bursting into <laughs> <That's really late. laughs> so, yeah but even if the films didn't explode these films they still used um you know silver in the process yeah, yeah. of creating them mm-hmm. and film studios would often just again they'd look at this and be like why do i need this let's recycle this old film nobody's going to watch this anymore let's take the silver back to use it again you also had world war ii in which a lot of films were scrapped for their precious silver for the war Whoa. effort you know So by then, by that point, the 40s, the 50s, a lot of film had been lost. So let's let's talk about some of the most famous lost films. Now, the whole the whole point about like cataloging a lot of these these lost films is not only to preserve the history that's there, but because it is totally possible that someday somebody might find somewhere a print of one of these Mm. that has survived. And it's important 
to know what's out there and start looking for what's out there because somebody finds a print of a film. They're like, what is this? And they go online, they, they search it. They might end up on the webpage of people saying, here are lost films. If you have this, please contact the American Film Institute or the, the British Film Institute. The BFI actually maintains a most wanted list like for this purpose. Wow. And they mm. have found films. They found a lot of the more recent ones where it's like a film from the 1970s, like nobody can find it. And then they'll find it in a private collection or something like that. So the most wanted of the most wanted, the number one movie that's on the BFI's you know most wanted list is a 1926 film. It is called The Mountain Eagle. Um, mm. It is it is the second film ever directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, um, a Hitchcock movie is lost. I'm gonna just quote Wikipedia here. The plot of this movie is basically. Um, <laughs> It is a romantic melodrama set in Kentucky about a widower who jealously competes with his crippled son and a man he loathes over the affections of a school teacher. So obviously this sounds like this movie like absolutely rules. Um, Alfred Hitchcock said it was bad and he was happy it was gone. (laughs) They're still trying to find it. That's the big one. Uh, There was a 1914 movie called A Study in Scarlet. This is the first British film depicting Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Yep. Wow. Um. So that's lost. That's early. That is early. A lot of these are very early. In 1919, this movie called The First Men in the Moon. This is the first movie to be based on an H.G. Wells novel. Also, mm-hmm. maybe considered the first full-length science fiction movie. Um, mm. oh. That's lost. I mean, for all of these, there's like stills. Because they, they'd shoot photographs and things like that for promotional stills. And like the, the lobby cards or maybe posters, posters yeah. for some of these movies survive. It's just the film that was so volatile. Mm-hmm. Um 19 there's a movie 1928 movie called the patriot this is a biographical movie about emperor paul the first of russia what is interesting about this one it was nominated for best picture in the academy awards um wow. and it actually it actually won the oscar for best writing and it's lost it's the only oscar winning wow. film the only best picture nominee that is lost Oh, um, that's a good bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah but I mean, yeah, you, it's not it's not some little rinky dink, you know. And I'm picking out here a lot of things where it's like, oh my gosh, that sounds. You know, there's another movie called uh, London After Midnight. This is also like one of the absolute holy grails of the lost movie. This is a silent horror film with Lon Chaney, the famous you know sort of king of the silent horror movies, yeah, and monster yeah. makeup and stuff. For this one, they apparently took lots and lots and lots of still pictures like from the set for almost Mm -hmm. every scene and they've used this to go back and like recreate the movie out of stills it was a silent movie out of like stills and dialogue and stuff like that uh this was actually this was they had this until 1965 there was an mgm vault fire and a whole vault full of, Mm. of nitrite film you know all went up and went up in smoke and this was lost there as well mgm actually was trying to preserve movies like they actually really were trying to keep this stuff around but you know ultimately it probably just took a long time to like transfer these things on right right film that was safe yeah um 1921 short feature called humor risk uh humor and then (sighs) r-i-s-k humor risk this was the first uh marx brothers short um oh wow. for this one there's a rumor that groucho Marx himself destroyed it because he didn't like it um but <laughs> but it's lost uh and then many of the oswald the lucky rabbit uh black and white short films that walt disney did in the 20s many of those are lost um every now and again somebody recovers an oswald the lucky rabbit 
they they had pretty wide distribution around the world, you know? So, I mean, every now and again, one will be found in Britain or somebody found one in Japan at one point, you know? Also jumping over very quickly to Australia for the final movie I want to talk about. 1909, very early, an Australian film called The Story of the Kelly Gang. And this this is a movie that tells the story of Ned Kelly, who is a, a real-life figure who is a bush ranger, basically like Australian outlaws. This is considered to be like the first ever feature film. The first ever like feature length fictional ah, narrative, you know, motion whoa. picture, nineteen oh nine, and this is partially lost. This is Australia's most wanted film. Again, just quickly paraphrasing Wikipedia, this is partially lost in the, in the sense that there's there's some of this film is still around. In nineteen seventy six, they found a few seconds of it. Wow, um, seconds, seconds. In nineteen seventy eight, they found sixty four meters of film in in somebody's private collection. In 1980, they found more footage of the story of the Kelly gang in a garbage dump. No! <laughs> oh yeah. Gosh. And in 2006, they found a few more minutes of it in the United Kingdom. So as of now, they have 17 minutes of the, of the full length. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like years ago, I may have seen something on cable about like film restoration or something like this. And they were talking, I seem to recall that they were saying that they kept some of these movies that they were in the process of trying to restore, like, in an artificially chilled, you know, storage unit to basically try and minimize the chance that this thing may just up and, you know, combust on you. That's what they do now. We have much better technology for, for preserving. Well, it's the same thing with, um, I mean, there's no, I mean, obviously there's, there's lost Disney shorts, but, um, you know, with animation cells, I mean, a, a lot of the thing with the animation cells is that the acetate that they used was very expensive. And so Disney would finish a movie then they take all these incredible animation cells that they had drawn to shoot for the movie. Then they'd and they'd wash them all, and then and, <laughs> and they'd use them again. Put it in a sink. Well, it is sol- <laughs> a, a solvent, right? <laughs> oh yeah. man! And we have our purple Patreon patron. Uh, this is a uh, Mister Mister Ho or or Mister Amber <laughs> uh, from Kennesaw, Georgia. Mm. Um. Chris, I want to ask you. Oh. In video games, there's the mm. idea of permadeath. Yes. Mm. What well, can you quickly explain what permadeath in a game It's means? like as you're sometimes in a role-playing game or a strategy game, your character dies, but then you can bring them back to life using a certain item or a magic spell or something. So death is not really death, death. Um, but permadeath is the idea that if you're playing through these battles and a character dies in battle, that's it. And so you could reload your old save file or something Mm -hmm. like that but it's like you can't just bring them back to life so you've got to actually like make sure that your characters never die over the course of the game if you want them to actually stay with your party over the course of the game now there's some there are some games where the game is sort of constantly saving behind you or there is no save so if Mm. you die you just get a game over and you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the game like that could be permadeath Mm. as well um and so there's some games that are meant to be played over and over again from the beginning um you know without saving essentially uh so sometimes that that means that as well but it is an interesting um it's not an oxymoron but it seems like a it seems redundant you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Death yeah in video games it's now it's, it's, right like death originally like was permit you know permit death <laughs> that's what death is but death in video games is reversible so the irreversible death in video games that is a big it, deal a yeah. perma death yeah we grow up thinking yeah it, when you die in video games there's 
there's some compromise. Maybe you'll lose your stuff. Maybe you'll mm-hmm. lose your money. Maybe you have to mm-hmm. start some more. But like, you mm-hmm. can still technically continue. Continue yep. with, with the game. So, Mr. Amber writes in, and he said, "Sometimes games, the games, would kill themselves permanently. Not your file, or not your character, but the ah. game itself, for mm. a more economic reason, to deter piracy and bootlegging." So ah. he talks about. Especially in arcade machines in the 90s, an example of this would be the Capcom CP System 2 boards, which were arcade boards uh, for games like uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Aliens vs. Predator, which actually had something called a suicidal battery. (laughs) Okay. So as Mm -hmm. soon as Mm -hmm. like the battery is tampered, the machine knows like, oh, it's being tampered. Ah. I'm going to wipe my entire i'm gonna wipe the machine wow and so when people like yeah yeah yeah. so when people steal or try to like maneuver things get their hands on it it would sense it and it would Hmm. just wipe the game so you can't get to it so you can't you can't take the game and like start disassembling it to take the rom chips and try to extract the data backwards engineering Mm -hmm. as soon as you take the battery out of the board everything just goes yeah yes Like uh, like the security tags with the ink on uh, yeah yeah on money right right right. yeah exactly (laughs) as soon as you start trying to mess with it you just sort of render it all moot yeah interesting do they still make them like the clothes you know like when you buy clothes and there's like a with a little dye tag yeah 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 Yeah. I've I've never seen it go off or I've never seen what happens when you tamper with it you know what I mean well you don't hang out with criminals yeah. definitely seen I've, I, I have i've seen it in uh the bathrooms at shopping malls that's where you got to go go oh. to the bathroom at the shopping mall look in the garbage can and see if you see a piece of clothing with like ink all over it because oh, like somebody geez. stole it out of the store tried to get the tag off in the bathroom failed ditched it and, and left i've read about also this reminds me of this of some like super high security like uh, thumb drive like usb thumb drives that are set up if you enter you know the wrong password too many times it basically it wipes, wipes itself yeah it just wipes itself yeah yeah right well so thank you mr amber and congratulations on your uh, recent ish nuptials yeah thank you and congratulations <laughs> your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to Good Job Brain. This week, we're talking about things that are erased, redacted, gone. I have one last segment for this episode I hope I'm not alone in saying that I was one of those kids when it's like back to school season. I'm just super excited because I I, I get all the stuff, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Notebooks yeah. and pencil yeah. cases and pencils. Like, were you guys like that? I feel like you shouldn't even sit here if you weren't. I did like that part of it. I, I can't say I was always excited about going back to school, literally. Yeah. But no, for sure. I loved I loved just that smell of just, yeah, just fresh. Folders. Yeah, just fresh yeah. fresh school supplies. I, yeah, I, I'm, I will admit I was that. I was nerdy. So I do want to talk about one of the things that you probably have to buy for back to school. Well, actually, not nowadays. Uh, when we were growing <laughs> up, we probably had to buy 
erasers. Yes. Now, did you get the, the sort of student that I was? I wasn't taking like a lot of art classes or anything like that. You know what I mean? So I didn't, mm. I had no need for like a big eraser. I, I would get the little kind of, you know, trapezoidal shaped or, you know, rubber pink. pink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was a big culture shock moment for me coming to America is is eraser tech. Yes. Like in Asia, holy so, crap. So like, superior. So superior. Yes! Just in every way. Like, I mean, erasers that smelled like candy, erasers that, you know, looked like little characters, erasers that actually erased the writing without just like tearing a, a big right, hole right, in your right. paper. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to, to crap on American erasers. <laughs> we had a back to school episode and Chris, you talked about pencils. Yeah. You talk about like the history and the usage of pencils. Mm-hmm. And so basically when you're writing with a pencil, you're depositing tiny, tiny powder, tiny, tiny bits of graphite that sits on the paper. Sure. So with an eraser, what you're doing is basically kind of attracting all the, all that graphite dust onto the eraser Mm -hmm. away from the paper. Do you guys know what uh, the UK or other Commonwealth countries call the eraser? Oh. Gum? Rubber. Oh, Oh, okay. Just the rubber. Oh, okay. All right. Actually, most erasers are made out of synthetic rubber. I'm 40 years old, and I didn't know that rubber, the material, is named after the object (laughs) rubber. It rubs. Are you it rubbed things. So it was called the rubber. And I was like, because we're like, oh, rubber ducky, rubber gloves. I was like, oh, that's the name of the material. The right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Just you, just, you just you just don't even think about it. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. So an eraser <laughs> was called a rubber. And then that back built onto the material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the material is named after the object. The material rubber is named after the, the object rubber. Anyways. So, so that's pretty much how erasers work, right? They they attracting the the graphite particles away from the paper. They're okay. lifting it up, and this is why you can't erase pen, right? Because how a pen works is there's actual liquid pigment, right? And it's soaking. It doesn't sit on top of the paper. It soaks into mm. the fibers of the paper, right? So it, it's kind of just integrated. So there, there's no external things to rub away yeah. or attract. So if you try to erase pen, you will just sit there erasing it until the paper you, you put a hole in the paper. Yeah, 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 exactly. However, there are erasable pens yeah i remember that old eraser mate yeah so so there's two types the one type we probably grew up with the eraser mate um and and how does it work so how can you erase this ink um so that's what they call like a rubber cement based pen so the ink itself is pigment with basically rubber cement Mm -hmm. and so as you're writing it out um when it's kind of you know fresh it's tacky it's like rubber cement yeah yeah Mm -hmm erase it you're kind of like peeling peeling the cement away okay however if you leave it onto the paper for a really really long time the cement hardens and it's now it's really really stuck on the paper you have a a window of having it be erasable like a window where it's still pliable and it's kind of yeah like there was and rubber that's cementy, right that's right? right yeah it doesn't write completely like a pen it's true. It did. It did have kind of like a, I don't know, like a, just like a squidgy oozy quality to it or yeah. yeah. And like, I remember at least one time, like, I, I don't know, I sat on it in my backpack or something and like the ink everywhere. And it, it just, it felt, yeah, more viscous and kind of sticky. Tacky. Than, yeah. 
that's the kind of the old school eraser pen. However, there mm. is a recent type. Oh. It's been in development for decades, like oh. 30 years. Came on the market in the 2000s. Made by Pilot. Pilot, the Japanese pen brand, stationary brand. They've been developing this for years and years Ooh. and years, and they have perfected it. The Pilot pens are called, it's called Friction, but it's spelled funny. It's Friction. <laughs> F R I X I O N. Friction. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. Friction. Okay. All right. It is a pen. It writes like a normal pen. And then you erase it and it disappears. You you literally erase it. How yeah. does it work? Oh my God. Let me tell you. So in this, what they call thermochromatic ink, there are three components. Let's call it one, two, and three. Number one, you have the dye, which is the colorant. Number two, you have the color developer. So the Ooh. the dye won't show up unless it pairs with the developer. Okay. Right. So okay. you won't see color unless it, you know with the developer. Okay. And the number three, so one, two, three, three is a temperature regulator. Yes. <laughs> so you have the dye, the color, the developer. And then the, the the temperature regulator. And this all just sort of comes out as you write. It's it's like microns wide. Yeah, wow. sure. I mean, that's part of their development was to get it that small, mm. to get these little capsules. <gasps> oh, oh, my gosh. Micro capsules. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Why, why can't I capsule? <laughs> capsule. Why do I say capsule? Capsule. When you're just normally writing it out and you see the color, what you're seeing is the dye bonded with the developer. Okay. So those two things have to be bonded together uh, for the color to show up. Yeah. And the thermal regulator is chilling. <laughs> no pun intended. When you're erasing what you're writing, you're not peeling away. You're not attracting away. You're not subtracting you're changing the temperature. Ah, right. Yeah. Because friction. friction. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're rubbing, all your you think you're like you're trained to think like, oh, I'm I'm wiping it away or I'm like peeling it away. No, all you're doing, the rubbing is just to change the temperature. Mm-hmm. And so once the temperature gets up to like a heated friction temperature range, then number three, the thermal regulator interferes with the bond. <laughs> and so now the regulator and the developer bonded together, leaving out the dye, leaving out the color capsules. Oh no. So now the color is not activated. It's like a little love triangle and you're just yep, like tipping yep. the balance it of this. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna like who? Who's gonna <laughs> yeah. bond together with who? Oh my so gosh. The ink is there. You're yeah. not you're not deleting it you're just you're like rendering it invisible it's like reverse visible reverse invisible ink right you're just changing the temperature wow so it does it have to have like a specialized eraser that gets just the no, right friction heat. coefficient or just yeah could you do it with like a hair dryer or yes <laughs> literally just heat. that is really hmm. cool does it come back when it gets cold or like once it once it drives out the dye it's it can, it can. If you put it in the freezer, sometimes you can still oh. see. Like you're basically now like rebonding the lovers again, like the <laughs> and developer again, and it'll show up. I'm gonna buy one. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna get one of these pens. I have them. They work great. I mean, it doesn't even stop at pens. They have stamps that use this ink, markers that use this ink. Cool. The advancement of this type of technology, it didn't mean that people didn't try to erase ink back in the days. For, <laughs> for a really long time, people did use what was called 
pen eraser or ink eraser, but it's essentially a knife that you carry. (laughs) You literally just scrape layers of paper where the ink was. Yeah. Maybe on, you know, parchment or even, you know, animal hide, you might have maybe a little thicker. Maybe you have a little more, you know, room to play with for erasing compared to like a modern sheet of paper. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to end our segment with a sad morbid but random interesting story all uh, right and i'm gonna start off by saying i went to a site called findagrave.com okay cool if you happen to live in uh in the bronx in new york um you can head over to the woodlawn cemetery yeah famous cemetery where you can find a particularly strange grave Uh, This is what is engraved on this particular headstone. Mm. George Spencer, born February 15th, 1894, died February 15th, 1909. Mm. Lost life by stab in falling on ink eraser, evading six young women trying to give him birthday kisses in office Metropolitan Life Building. Oh, no. That entire block is engraved onto the headstone. So what a a crazy, what happened? Who, what kisses, birthday, mm. ink eraser. Poor George Spencer. He was working as an office boy in New York City, and it was his 15th birthday. And, you know, I think he was probably a, a pretty popular, maybe a, a good looking, nice boy, who, you know, on his 15th birthday, a lot of the women in the office uh, wanted to give him kisses. Okay. Um, It's 1909. He was trying to run away from from these kisses, run away from these women. And there was a little bit of a, a scuffle and he tripped and he fell. And in his pocket was a metal ink eraser, which is, you know, like I said, it's pretty much like a knife. And he fell on it, and it just completely pierced through an artery. Oh, my God. And he he died from escaping kisses. Brutal. What a crazy story. Mm. What a crazy situation. What a crazy invention of this metal metal pen eraser. To die from the... Yeah, just like, this is your tool of the trade, and it... You can you can find this uh, this very very strange headstone at the Woodlawn Cemetery wow. in the Bronx. They are not paraphrasing anything on that engraving. They're they're no, we're wow. giving you the wow. whole story. <laughs> Spiel, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went from learning that this object existed to learning that it killed this poor fifteen year old boy in the space of about <laughs> one <Yeah>. minute. There, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, when we were, when we first started to think about you know stuff for this episode, I, I started looking at something that ended up just being an interesting little factoid, and I almost forgot to, to mention it. Speaking of erasing things that maybe aren't supposed to be erased, if somebody takes a sharpie marker and accidentally writes on your whiteboard with permanent marker, like, do you know the best way to get that off? I've seen that happen so many times. No, I don't. Oh, really? So the way that you, if somebody writes with sharpie on your your dry erase board or uh, with sharpie on other on other things, um, the way to get this off is take a dry erase marker and just scribble dry erase marker over the sharpie. I saw a teacher do this once. Yeah, and if it's on, I mean, if it's on a dry erase board, it will immediately the sharpie and the dry erase just wipe it right off, and it will come right off. Oh. I, I've done this on 
like if I if I've had like a video game box that somebody wrote oh. on in Sharpie, I've done that. It especially it works oh. really well in like plastic or you know things like that where it's like less Slick. where the Sharpie can't penetrate, you know. Mm-hmm. But even if the sharp, even if it's on a box or something like that, you could potentially do it. So what is the reason? Because inside the marker you have the color, and then you also have a solvent that's mixed in with it. So when that when you write with a dry erase marker on the board, it's just sitting on the top of there. It can't stick on there because there's solvent mixed in. So it's just sitting in a permanent state of being dissolved. Oh. So when you take this and you draw a draw with a dry erase marker over the Sharpie, the solvent, which is suspending, oh. it gets into the molecules of Sharpie mm. and dissolves all of them too. Liquefies it. Liquefies it. And then you just wipe it right off. Yep. Whoa! People do this all the time. They put Sharpie on the dry erase board or whatever it is. Yes. Yep. Draw over it with dry erase. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening. And hope you learned stuff about Da Vinci Cod, about (laughs) lost movies and uh, combustible film and typos in stone. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on all podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like I Know What Scares You, The Explorers Podcast, and The Secret History of Hollywood. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 